Our prophetic ministry meeting that we had on Zoom yesterday, um, we had an outrageously good time in the Lord, I've got to tell you, and there were some extraordinary things that happened. There was a man on that live stream who had been carrying an injury from, from, uh, from I believe, from uh, uh, military service for quite a number of years, and he had a massive amount of pain in the right-hand side of his neck, and he couldn't, couldn't kind of go like this without extreme pain. He was completely healed in a matter of minutes. Um, there was also, uh, I, I released a prophetic word for the United States of America, and because it was a Zoom meeting, that's not publicly available. So uh, this afternoon or tonight, that's going up on YouTube. And for those of us, uh, for those of you watching on live stream from the United States of America, I want to commend that YouTube video to you because you will be greatly encouraged in what God is about to do in your nation. Um, tomorrow night, we have intercession here in the church. And, you know, I was, I was talking to somebody yesterday and I said, you know, we've got about, you know, if everybody turned up at, at the same time in our church, we'd probably have about 75 adults that are actually regular attendees of Open Heaven Church. Last Monday night, um, even with two or three people that are regular attendees missing, we had something like 23 or 24 people in here, in here praying and interceding on Monday night. I want to tell you that is a very healthy percentage I'd like to see it go to 100, but, you know, <laughs> but, but a third of the church turning up to pray and intercede and, and seek the Lord is, um, is a good thing. And it shows that God is moving us in the right direction because prayer, intercession and fasting are keys to where God is taking us at the moment. Barry, do we have that presence, power and purpose slide available? Could you put that up? So I want to talk a little bit about uh, this journey that we're going to launch into in early October. Um, we're going to, it's called Living the Book of Acts, Presence, Power and Purpose. And it's based on Acts 1.8, which I believe is the key to the whole uh, book of Acts. For you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses to Judea, Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. This is what the mission of the church is, the purpose of the church is to take the message of God throughout the, the face of the earth. And so uh, we'll be launching a whole new concept within our life groups in that time. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be um, asking people, especially people that haven't been part of life groups before, to come and sign on the dotted line. Come and sign your life away and, um, and be part of what God's going to do because God's taking us on a Extreme journey. <laughs> Extreme journey. It's going to be awesome. Um, and finally, we've spoken a lot about repentance this year, have we not? Has anybody missed that message? <laughs> as, as, yes, if anybody still needs convincing, I just want to talk for a moment about um, a group of Pentecostal nuns. Pentecostal nuns? What? <laughs> There's always at least one person that has that response. What? Pentecostal nuns. At the close of World War II in Germany, <coughs> God brought together a group of women who founded a community of believers. <coughs> Excuse me. Founded a community of believers. Um, they, they lived in community and they pursued God for revival and revival fell on that group of, of women. And they founded a movement called the Evangelical Sisterhood of Mary. Thank you, my darling, for looking after me. <sighs> Too good. <laughs> um, they founded uh, a community of, of believers and um, in 1996, just after a um, I got saved. My family had had kind of had known this group of people for a number of years. And um, I went out to visit them out the back of Camden. And I found myself surrounded by this group of kind of, most of them were kind of older ladies in pure white nuns' habits. And uh, it wasn't what I experienced. These people were more full of joy than anybody I've ever met before or since. 
And what I came to understand after kind of visiting them a few different times, because I was doing some work for them with, their, um, with the way that they were promoting their, their, um, their ministry, um, I found that this was perpetually their state. They were perpetually in this state of joy. And the key to that joy-filled life that they walk in is the word repentance. And so they have this, uh, this little book. It's not very long. I reckon you could probably read it in an hour if you really wanted to, although I think it's probably a bit richer and worthy of more than an hour of your attention. They've written this booklet called Repentance, the Joy-Filled Life, and they don't actually, um, you won't find a price anywhere on this book. If somebody wants to make a donation to get the book, they suggest around the $5 mark, but you could have one for nothing if you so desire. Although I don't think with this generous group of people that would be the case with very many. Um, and so we've got um, a whole bunch of these up the back of the church on that table. And I think we need to find somewhere to put the, the $5 notes or the coins or whatever. They've been giving John the money. Okay. This is, this, <laughs> this is a man to whom you can entrust your worldly belongings, okay? <laughs> so just see John, give him the money, take the book. I want to highly recommend it. It is excellent. All right. <clears throat> Are we ready, church? <laughs> Are we ready to step into the journey? <laughs> Thank God. Actually, you, are, you weren't born ready. You were born again ready. Let me just clarify that. <laughs> you were born again ready for what God wants to do in your life. And so um, I want to start with something. I had this message prepared, and just as I was getting to the tail end of preparing it, I saw something in the Word of God that kind of encapsulates at the beginning and end of this message what this is about. Now, you guys are all familiar with name changes in the Bible and the change of identity that goes with that, right? Jacob into Israel. And of course, in the New Testament, you've got Saul uh, being transformed into Paul. You see these, these, these transformations of character. Who, quickly wave a hand at me. If you're familiar with the name change that Joshua received. Andrew, one. Yeah, you're familiar with it because I told you about it. <laughs> See? <laughs> See, this, this is, I was surprised because I never saw it before. I never saw it. So, and I, and I want to tell you that it's profound because of what Joshua was about to do. So let me take you to some, something in Scripture because I, I don't want you to think I'm just making this up. It's got to be in the Word of God or it's not worth preaching, right? So, no. <laughs> Uh, that's, a, that's, that's worth quoting. <laughs> if it's not in the Word of God, it's not worth preaching. Okay, Numbers 13. In Numbers 13, 1 to 16, Moses is sending the spies into Canaan, right? One from each tribe. Um, in Numbers 13, verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. And if you go down to verse 8, you will see, From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, the son of Nun. And then you go down to Numbers 13, 16, and it says, After listing out all of the spies who went into Israel, uh, went into Canaan, sorry, um, it says, these are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And then it says, and Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. He changed his name just before sending him into the promised land. Why? Okay, so Hoshea means deliverer. That's your identity, right? You're a deliverer. You're a mighty person. You carry the anointing of God on your life. You are a deliverer. Aren't you great? But he goes from Hosea to Joshua, and Joshua means Jehovah is salvation. 
And I want to tell you that this name change is significant because only someone who understands dependency on God instead of relying on their own resources would walk their army around a fortified city for seven days without allowing anyone to even speak, let alone lift a weapon. Do you see what I'm getting at here? What I'm getting at here? The church for a long, long time, we're going to go deep into this today. The church for a long time has relied on our own wisdom, our own understanding, and we have bought into a whole bunch of world systems to grow what Jesus said he would grow. And so this, is, this represents, this name change from Hosea to Joshua is a transformation of identity from self-sufficiency to dependence on the Spirit of the Lord. It's a new wineskin. And the new wine is coming to us to fill us to the point of overflow. And I want to tell you that the church has been walking around like an old, cracked, leaking, leather, wineskin that's only fit to be thrown out and burnt up in the fire. We need a new wineskin because the new wine is coming. This is what God is asking of us. He's asking us to lay aside our preconceptions of who we are as a congregation of believers because he has something new for us. Why does he have something new for us? Well, why is it? I'm going to ask you some questions here. What? These are rhetorical questions. You don't have to all put your hand up and go, oh, sir, 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 or bring me an apple or something. Why is it that the church is so disrespected around the world that liquor outlets are regarded by governments as more essential than churches? Why is it that leaders of huge ministries are being exposed as adulterers and perverts on almost a weekly basis? Ouch! Why is it that not one Christian denomination in the Western church has withstood the scrutiny of official investigations into child sexual abuse? Ouch! What does it say about the Western church that a plague unleashed across the face of the globe could stop the church in its tracks? Further, that up to 40% of the church should completely disengage from services, whether online or in person, during a pandemic when the world desperately needs hope and needs answers that reach beyond our puny, finite, earthly lifespans. What does all this say about us? Something is not right. I love the church. Anybody who knows me knows I love the church. I've paid a price for my love for the church. I love what God has been doing in certain movements around the globe. But the church does not look anything like what Jesus prophesied when he prophesied the birth of the church. And the truth is that in the West, the church has been in decline for at least the last 50 years. When Jesus said the gates of Hades would not prevail against the church slash ecclesia, did he mean it or not? If he did, and of course he did, there must be something wrong somewhere. And if there is no lack in the kingdom and there is not, we must have been doing something wrong. You know, there are many, many expert theories about how to do every aspect of church life from our services to training to equipping to fellowship to what love looks like expressed in our church communities. There are more books uh, on how to grow your church than there are commentaries on the Word of God. There are church growth consultants that will take a percentage of your monthly offering to feed you worldly advice on how you can add bums to seats. (laughs) Meanwhile, it seems to me 
that the main book on how Jesus will grow his church is the most neglected. We are in one of the most biblically illiterate generations since the Bible was made available to be read by the common man. And we're going to come back to how the Word of God came to us, in, translated into English, and something specific that happened that kind of turned uh, what Jesus had prophesied into something else entirely. About a week ago on the Friday night, Pastor Anne-Marie preached beautifully on that night about revival. How desperately we need revival. The question that that message provoked in me was, what is it that we're trying to revive? What is it that we're trying to revive? Because revival by definition means that you take something that was dead and you bring it back to life. We don't want to resurrect the wrong corpse. (laughs) What? (laughs) I know it's in your heart, right? It's in your heart. Because if we're going to have revival, revival doesn't go far enough. The question when we ask, what does a genuine move of the Holy Spirit look like? I would suggest to you, that it doesn't look like the Moravian revival. It doesn't look like the Wesleyan revival. It doesn't look like the Welsh revival. It doesn't look like Azusa Street. It doesn't look like the Latter Rain revival. It doesn't look like the Charismatic Renewal. It doesn't look like Brownsville. It doesn't look like Toronto. It looks like Reformation. Because the Holy Spirit will come and infuse everything that we do if we have the heart the right heart attitude to what we're doing. We have the right motivation. If we, allow, if we allow ourselves to lay down our own prideful ways and allow the Holy Spirit to lead us into His version of victory, that victory will be perpetuated from generation to generation instead of lasting for two weeks, two months, two years or two decades. Everybody holds up Bethel Church. And I love Bethel Church. I love everything that Bill Johnson preaches. I love Chris Valaton. This is not a message against Bethel Church. If anyone tries to tell me different, I'll be angry. Everybody holds up Bethel Church as the model for modern revival because it's been going for 20 years. But Jesus said, Isaiah said in Isaiah 9, 6, that of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. When the kingdom of God was birthed across the earth with the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the birth of the church, what was supposed to happen was that the government was supposed to increase across the face of the earth. Government, hold that word government straight out of Isaiah 9. So God is birthing a revival that is not a revival as much as it is a reformation. And I believe that God is birthing a reformation that is greater even than the Protestant Reformation. For those of you who know about Martin Luther and the profound change that came to the church at that time. And I believe that as much as I said it doesn't look like Azusa Street, it doesn't look like Wesley, it doesn't look like um, the different things that we've seen in the past, I believe God is bringing together all the best strands of those revivals and reformations across the ages in an outpouring that will gather pace and force until it outstrips everything that happened in the book of Acts. Everything. I thought I'd get a response to that, but maybe it's just too big a vision. <laughs> But it will have at its core what Jesus originally intended. What did he intend? Good question. (laughs) I believe we can get to the core of this by the first thing he said about the church to his disciples and the last thing he said about the church before he ascended to heaven. I believe that these two statements are bookends to a concept of Christian life that must now be embraced if we are to not just survive but thrive as the return of Jesus draws near. 
What were those two things? Let's go to Matthew 16, verses 13 to 19. Matthew 16, 13 to 19. This uh, story also appears in Mark 8 and Luke 9, but Matthew 16 gives us the most complete picture of what happened at this place. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Let's just stop for a minute because Caesarea Philippi was the host of the gates of Hades. Every person in Israel knew Caesarea Philippi and the place where they had the, the idols to pan and all sorts of different demonic worship things were set up in this place. Everybody in Israel knew this was an unclean place. You do not go to this place. People would, uh, it, uh, would be involved in rituals that involved everything, everything from bestiality to, to uh, child sacrifice. It was a filthy, filthy, demonic stronghold. And see, uh, when Jesus came into that region of Caesarea Philippi, he did so on purpose. He was on his way, if you read through the accounts, he was on his way somewhere else and he had to take a detour to this place and there was a big cave there. I should have put, it up. I should have put a photo up from the school. We covered this a little bit in January. There was a big cave in that place and everybody regarded it as uh, the gates of Hades and they believed that the spirits of the dead came and went through this portal into the lower bowels of the earth and Jesus intentionally brought his disciples to this place outside the gates of Hades and prophesied the birth of the church. And so he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I the son of man am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Everybody's confused. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. There's another profound name change right there. And on this rock... Now let's get this one straight. The rock is not Peter. The rock is the revelation that Peter had of Jesus as the Christ. So the apostolic succession that's practiced in the Catholic Church is null and void when you actually understand this particular scripture. I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Sorry, the apostolic succession of the popes. Did I say that? Okay, the apostolic succession of the popes that's practiced in the Catholic Church is null and made null and void by that scripture. And I'm not speaking against the Catholic Church because I know many charismatic Christian people who are Catholic. Okay, so I'm not speaking against the Catholic Church except the institution that has somehow gone astray in so, so many ways, as have so many denominations. Uh, and then he says, uh, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my, what? What, is it, what, is your, what, is your Bible, no, what does your Bible say? Church, right? If your Bible says ecclesia, what translation is that? There's not, because I checked them. But if you look at the Greek word for church, that he's been translated as church. It's actually ekklesia, E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A, and it is a Greek word. I will build my ekklesia, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Everybody understands that gates are a defensive weapon, not an offensive weapon. They are meant to be smashed in by the ekklesia, right? And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Intercession, prayer, fasting, deliverance, ministry, all these things tie into that scripture beautifully. And that's the first time Jesus spoke about what he had in mind for his followers after he was gone. What was the last thing he said? Acts 1, 8 to 9. We're going to hear a lot of this over the next few months. But you shall receive power. Now, when it talks about power, it means power. It means dynamite going off. It means neutron bombs. It means Hiroshima. It means like incredible atomic power just going kaboom. 
You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now, if I was standing there watching Jesus go up in the clouds, I would remember what he said to me and I would say, okay, I'm going to go because elsewhere you'll read that he said, go and tarry in the city of Jerusalem and wait for this thing to happen. That would be the thing on my mind. Amen. So over the next couple of weeks at least, um, we are going to dig deep into what these two sets of declarations mean for us as a 21st century ecclesia. Because they mean something. But more importantly, I believe that God is asking us to do our part to become what Jesus instructed us to become while becoming an individual of expression, an individual expression of ecclesia, this body of believers, as the Holy Spirit leads. I don't see the end of this journey. I don't have to. I get on my face before God in the middle of the night every single night and sometimes I'm just there and, I, and I'll hear one phrase or I'll hear, or I'll hear nothing. I'll go back to bed and then I'll wake up the next morning and when I start getting into the Word, these little God ideas begin to pop up in, in my imagination. We should expect that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us continuously. We're in relationship. We're not in a religion. So let's go, let's go back quickly to Matthew 16 because, you know, if, if, if it's not in the word of, word of God, it's not worth preaching. Is that right? So let's go back to Matthew 16, which is the most complete record of what happened at Caesarea Philippi. And uh, many of you were here in the Kingdom Supernatural School in January when I talked about the concept of ecclesia. And you may be thinking to yourself right now, why are we going back over this? Are we back in school or something? But you know what God has been convicting me of? He's been convicting me that we have heard the concepts. We are up to our ears in teaching, in theory, in education now it's time for application based on revelation. Application based on revelation. I don't need to know where the journey ends. I just need to know the next step that the Lord is asking us to take. So Matthew 16, verse 18, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my ecclesia, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I want you to think for a moment about this, that Jesus used the Greek word ekklesia. And uh, I was looking at God kind of took me to this scripture in John 12. And I think the complete Jewish Bible translation renders this the best. John 12, 49. This is Jesus speaking. For I have not spoken on my own initiative, but the Father who sent me has given me a command, namely, what to say and how to say it. Every single word that Jesus spoke was filled with intent. There's nothing casual about what he had to say. Everything that he spoke, he spoke with authority as the Word of God, as the Son of God, as the one who was there when the worlds were created, who, who was part of the God that breathed and whole worlds were formed. Every word that came out of his mouth was very carefully chosen. And so I began to think about this because he could have used terms that his listeners who were... Who were uh, really devout in, the, in, the, uh, in Judaism, uh, he could have used terms that his listeners were much more familiar with, like tabernacle. He could have said, hey, you know, tabernacle, that's God's idea, but, but you know, I'm going to modify it and I'm going to build this up. I'm going to build my tabernacle. He could have said temple. I will build my temple or synagogue. Synagogue was where people gathered back in the day, right? Like this, if we were in Judaism, this would be a synagogue. But he didn't. He used the term ecclesia. 
So where does the term come from and why did he use it? Well, I said ecclesia is a Greek term. But in fact, by the time he first uttered the word in the Gospel of Matthew, it had been in use for centuries in both the Greek and Roman empires. And he was using a term that his disciples were totally familiar with. If I go to the Encyclopedia Britannica, this is what it says about the meaning of that word. Ecclesia was the name given to the governmental assembly of the city of Athens, duly convoked or called out. Called out by proper officers and possessing all political power, including even juridical functions. Juridical functions means the administration of justice. Do you see how secular this term is? Do you see it's about government? Do you see it's about dominion? Do you see it's about transformation of entire nations? Do you see that God has called us to something greater than what we are doing? It doesn't sound much like what we do at the moment. Remember when I said that we are in one of the most biblically illiterate generations since the Bible was made available to the common man? Well, we're going to go to what happened to the Bible when the Bible was first widely translated and published. And I'll give you a quote here from Ed Silvoso, who's written a fantastic book on Ecclesia. Our faulty understanding of the church's function is derived by a political stunt by no less than the man whose translation has served as the source for much of what we understand about the function of the church. Who's he talking about? King James. Who's got a King James or a New King James or New King Jim, some people call it. <laughs> the New King James Bible is... Uh, is one of those translations that does its best to go word for word translating from Hebrew, Aramaic and Greek, wherever it's found in the Word of God. Um, it's it's uh, the, probably the most poetic word for word translation there is. But at the time where the Bible was starting to be uh, readily available to people, uh, King James in England um, instructed his translators in a certain way to make um, a translation of the Word of God widely available. And he instructed his translators to use the word church instead of ecclesia because he wanted control. The spirit of control is one of the worst spirits afflicting the body of Christ today. See, James believed in something called the divine right of kings. And what that means, in short, I mean, I'm really concertinaing this down. You're getting the Reader's Digest version. But you can research this and you'll find that it's accurate. James believed in the divine right of kings, that he was in fact the head of the church in England, the Church of England, right? Everybody's heard of the Church of England, ruling through the bishops. So the King James Bible translation took the word ecclesia, which speaks to everybody of governmental authority, and changed it to church from the Scottish word kirk. So churches were called kirks in Scotland. So it was centered around, this word, around buildings that everyone came to with a hierarchical structure that was subject to state rule with many political appointments, much of it modelled on and inherited from the Catholic Church. I'm not speaking against the Catholic Church. I'm speaking about a deception that has afflicted the body of Christ since this time. And the whole thing was held in control by the king. If he did not want a bishop appointed, they would not be appointed. If he wanted a bishop appointed, they would be appointed. So instead of an expression of the body of Christ with governmental authority that is focused firmly on the spiritual realm. Remember, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this earth. 
I'm not talking about some sort of insurrection where we storm parliament with pickaxes trying to get rid of ungodly government. I'm talking about government in the spiritual realm because when you govern the spiritual realm, the material realm is affected. So uh, instead of an expression of the body of Christ with governmental authority that is focused firmly on the spiritual realm but also reaches into the natural realm, what we have actually inherited is a continuation of the mistakes of the past. Now, I know that this is today is much more teaching than it is preaching, but we have to get this concept firmly embedded in our hearts or we will not go where God is asking us to go. You see, with tabernacle, with temple, with synagogue, with church, you are reliant on a favourable culture toward your faith and your gatherings. If you want to disrupt it, if you want to destroy it, you just find where all these people of faith meet and you just shut it down. And when it's focused on one place, oh, let's go to church, let's go to church. Where's your church? Oh, it's here. The government comes in and says, we're shutting you down. When the Romans wanted to destroy Jerusalem in 70 AD, they destroyed the temple as a priority because they saw people's faith as a threat. Fast forward a couple of thousand years and a pandemic hits across the world and persecution is simultaneously rising against the church. What is the focal point of the church? Currently, it's the buildings we meet in. Particularly the really big ones where no one needs to be in accountable relationship with other believers. Ouch. I say that advisedly because I came out of what would be regarded as a big church and came to this church as it was, a tiny little gathering of 15 or 20 people in Flowerdale Road and a little A-frame wooden thing. And all of a sudden, I had to come to the place where I understood I was expected to be in relationship with the people in the building. I didn't have a choice. There wasn't, there wasn't that little group of musos to go hang out with during the sermon. There wasn't, I couldn't escape out there and, and pretend I said, or go to the green room. But what? Why do churches have a green room? Are we a TV studio? What is going on? <laughs> Let's not go there too, too far. <laughs> I'm not saying we should not have buildings. I'm not saying we should not have large buildings. I strongly believe and will demonstrate to us from Scripture as we journey into this further over the next few weeks that our corporate gatherings are vital. Did any of you miss what happened in worship this morning? The Holy Spirit came and spoke, just like it's spoken about by Paul in, in the, his letters to the Corinthians. Where, where we get into the presence of the Lord, the Holy Spirit begins to move on us corporately and all of a sudden the prophetic flows through. Our hearts are brought back into right perspective because we're gathered as believers in the presence of Almighty God. And God says in His Word that He is enthroned upon our praises. So we begin to offer praise and worship up to Him and His presence begins to fall on us. And all of a sudden the things... That, uh, that we're scared of, the things we're frightened about no longer seem so powerful. I know Sandra had a word this morning that God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We should not be afraid to go out on the street and lay hands on people and bring them to the Lord like Sandra did a couple of weeks ago, a perfect stranger in the Miller Shopping Centre who she approached and began to, began to witness. You shall be my witnesses. Is that not what it says? You shall be my witnesses. Where was I going with this? Not only does uh, he, he bring our fears and our failures and our sins into right perspective, he gives us the opportunity to make it all right at communion, but he also begins to deal with the things in our heart that need dealing with. 
If you don't feel like, if you've been in our church for a while now, no, that won't even qualify it that way. If you have not felt convicted by the Holy Spirit in the last few months, in all of 2020 with everything that's happened, if you have not felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit about sinful attitudes in your life, you're missing God. I don't know about you, but I've done a lot of repenting since the beginning of this year. And I look around me and I see a church full of people that have been touched by this ongoing process of repentance. Sometimes the Holy Spirit has to come and grab you by the scruff of the neck. Hey, John, you remember six months ago when I spoke to you about this? Or you remember your attitude about how you were supposed to do this? or how? John, what are you doing? Am I going to be led by my own finite ideas of what to do and how to serve God? Or am I going to be led into everything that he has for me? So I'm not saying we shouldn't have buildings, but the Barna Institute in the United States, their recent survey of the church in the USA has exposed a glaring weakness that the expression of what we do and how we have raised up believers is flawed. F-L-A-W-E-D. Flawed. It's not quite right. Otherwise, 40% of the church would not have disappeared at a time of crisis when the world needs Jesus. We have developed a consumer culture in the church that is not geared to war. War, you know, W-A-R. War, something that we haven't experienced in the natural for generations. So when adversity strikes and buildings are closed, 40% have gone missing when they should have gone to war. And a war is what we were all born again into. Like it or not, you don't get a choice because your enemy is circling you like a ravenous lion and he's seeking those whom he may devour. You might think, oh, thank you, Jesus, and that's all you do for the rest of your life. But meanwhile, the the devil's coming. He's taking a chunk out of this. He's taking a chunk out of that. And the church is too asleep and dead to even notice that you're under attack and bleeding to death. A war is what we were born again into, whether we like it or not, not against flesh and blood, but in the spiritual realm. If you get caught up in personality, if you get caught up in politics, you get caught up in all those things, my goodness, you are buying trouble for yourself. But let me just make this observation. If I was in... I've got dual Australian and US citizenship. If I was in the United States of America at the moment and I was able to vote and I was going to place my vote, you know where I would place my vote? I would look at who was being, who was more, the most prepared to be held accountable for the 60 million babies that have been killed since Roe versus Wade. Because that, we should... I wasn't, I wasn't going there, but I have. How can, how can we say that the worship of Baal was so evil that they would throw babies into the fire as human sacrifices to guarantee their own prosperity and not be heartbroken at 60 million babies that have been killed since 1973? And don't think Australia gets off any lighter because I've said this before that by percentage of population, our percentage of abortion is higher than the United States of America. Okay. Now that I've got that out of my system. <laughs> we have not gone to war because we have not understood that we are called to govern. Not just exist and warm seats. Not just worship, not just prayer, not just fellowship. Consumer culture has infested the church. We come to church, we go, feed me, feed me. 
bless me. <laughs> you know, um, what's that? What's that? What's that? Uh, you know, that, remember that band Nirvana? And that big hit? Here we are now. Entertain us. You know, that, <laughs> we're in a Nirvana church. <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't have said that. We're, we're, in a, we're in a church that has adopted some of that heart attitude. It's a heart attitude that says, it's kind of like God's like a candy bar machine and I'm putting in my five bucks and expecting a miracle or expecting a healing, expecting breakthrough, expecting this, expecting the other. But when the Holy Spirit begins to show up in power and puts his finger on this area of my life, I'm like, oh, not there, Lord. Just shine the searchlight over here, especially on my neighbor. Especially on my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my husband, my wife, my kids, my employer. Shine, shine, shine the searchlight on them, but don't shine it on me, God. God help me if I should ever preach down to you. I preach what I am walking through. Here we are, feed us, entertain us, comfort us. But don't challenge us to be what Jesus prophesied we would be. Alarm bells should be going off in churches around the world. Instead, the church is just waiting to go back to a normal that will never return. The time for normal is over. There's not even a new normal. There's God's intent for you and God's drawing us into a place of perfect submission to Him so that we can live out what He's called us to. And let me say that the focus of large ministries being dependent upon one figurehead leader is little more than idolatry. Ouch. Because all the enemy has to do is take out that leader and the whole ministry collapses. And we're seeing this now in real time as ministries collapse from scandals. Jesus had in mind, now remember, he's using a Greek term. When he talks about ecclesia, he's using a Greek term. He had in mind apostles, another Greek term, which we will get into over the next few weeks as well. He had in mind apostles who lead assemblies of ecclesia, carrying genuine governmental authority in the spiritual realm over regions, not rock star pastors with congregations who are pandering to little more than a cult of personality. I know it's kind of funny, but it grieves the Holy Spirit. It grieves him and it quenches him. It's got to stop. (sighs) These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, and Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Are you ready to be a Joshua to this generation? Are you ready? Because ecclesia means called out ones. Just like Israel was called out of Egypt and then were called out of a victim mentality to become men of war and take their promised land, so are we being called out now. Can I have the worship team up, please? Because I think we need to do business with the Lord this morning. I want to tell you, as we get into how this principle of of ecclesia actually plays out, because it played out in the book of Acts. It absolutely played out. 
But the book of Acts is not like a, uh, it, it gives us these examples of how God moved in different ways during those first decades of the Ecclesia. But it didn't give us one blueprint, this idea of slavishly following a blueprint because, oh, this worked in this country or this city, this nation over here. That's how God moves. So we should slavishly implement the same thing here because we'll get the same result. Those days are gone. God has an individual plan for this city, even down to this gathering of Ecclesia, for this city, for this state, for this nation and for the world. And once the gospel, once those of us who are obedient to, be obedient to Acts 1, 8 and 9, being witnesses to the ends of the earth, once that is complete, he comes back. It's not complete because we haven't done it. Hallelujah. Joshua, Jehovah is salvation. Do you understand the word salvation? Do you understand it means the restoration of every area of brokenness? It covers every area of your life so that you can walk in shalom. Not just a peaceful feeling in your heart, in your mind, will and emotions. Shalom. The peace of God reaches into every area of your life so that you can simultaneously be at war, but be in peace. Come on, this is what we're called to. Are we supposed to be cowering before the forces of government, frightened that they might stick a microchip in you? Come on, church, we're bigger than this. Hallelujah. If you're doing anything else except I surrender, <laughs> I'm probably going to call it. <laughs> but I can hear the chords. <laughs> I know some of us are feeling like our surrenderer is being worn out this year, right? <laughs> every, every Sunday I'm going, come on, surrender to the Lord. Come on, get right with God. Come on, surrender to the Lord. <laughs> I've got to keep doing it till it's done. I've got to keep doing it till the Holy Spirit comes in such power that none of us can get off the floor except to go out there and take Him. Be witnesses to Him to the ends of the earth. Let's worship. And if you want to come out and make expression before the Lord of your measure of surrender, please feel free to do so. Those of you on live stream, I, on live stream, I prophesy to you that God has more for you in your future than you ever imagined possible. And it all hinges around this, just this one thing. I want to be the expression of Christ that He has actually already spoken over me, that I would be part of an ecclesia that walks in authority, the authority of the King of Kings for my suburb, for my family, for my state, for my nation. I prophesy this over you, that the Spirit of the Lord is rising. The Spirit of the Lord is rising upon you. Arise, shine. Oh, hallelujah. Let's surrender afresh to Him this morning.